Bismillah, Alhamdulillah, Wassalatu Wassalam, Rasulullah, Wa Ala Alihi Wasabiya Ajma'in. You are listening to Islam Tomorrow. You can visit us on the internet at www.islamtomorrow.com. I'm your host, Yusuf Estes, and the National Muslim Chaplain. We're broadcasting almost live all the way from Las Cruces, New Mexico. Alhamdulillah. And quite a gathering we've got here this morning for the Fajr Salat. Alhamdulillah. This is very good. See everybody out and about and ready to participate in the remaining part of the program we have scheduled for Las Cruces today and tomorrow morning. And it seems, you know, how fast time goes because tomorrow after the Fajr, then we're finished. And I'll have to go back to Washington. And you'll, of course, go back to the things you've been doing. And I hope that we take some benefit from what we're doing, that we'll be able to, you know, uh, benefit and uh, use the information that we're working with. Last night, alhamdulillah, we had the chance to go to Los, uh, to um, El Paso. El Paso. And while we were there, uh, we had a, a great chance to visit with the brothers and sisters there, especially dealing with the subject of what's Islam tomorrow. That, of course, that's the name of our program, and that should be our topic. But some of the things that came out were, were quite interesting because we discovered that really uh, a lot of what we need to focus on for Islam in America tomorrow is more on ourselves than anything else. We talk a lot, you know, of course, about what's going on in the newspaper, magazines, radio, and so on. We focus a lot on the television, what's happening with that. And we have a tendency to kind of forget what it's really all about. It's not really all about these subjects. Those are the subjects that are used to get people to watch or read or participate in their things so that they can make money. They sell things through that. People advertise in those various forms of media to sell their products. But they know that they need customers to read it or listen to it or watch it. And if you only report information that's nice and sweet, the people will become bored. They like to see violence, bloodshed, screaming, hollering, sex, all the rest of it. So if you said, okay, we're going to have the news tonight, we're going to report good deeds. One man gave $5 to help a poor person today. Some children helped an old lady wash her clothes. And another man went to his neighbor and helped him paint his fence. And we go live now on the scene to the people painting the fence. And here's Mr. Jones. And what do you think about your neighbor coming over to help you paint your fence? Oh, this is nice. But, you know, last week I went over and helped him wash his car. Oh, nice. So nice. Now we'll go for a commercial break. And now we'll sell some products. Who will go there? Who will watch this? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. Because they want to see something amazing, you know. And this is not amazing. This is something boring to them. And so this really becomes a point that it can become news if 
really somebody does do these things. I'll tell you why. Because for us, we know that these are the things that Allah wants us to do. We know this is something part of being a human being. But for them, they don't see anything except violence and bloodshed and so on and these forms of media. So if we did go and help them wash their car or paint their fence or help with some project or just give somebody donation for money, it really would seem strange to them. They say, wow, you tried to help me. I can't believe it. This is amazing. I didn't see anything like this. So uh, believe it or not, our small acts of kindness can make a big difference. It can make a difference. Especially among people who are not used to any acts of kindness at all. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the subject in the Quran. I'm going to only generalize. I'm not trying to play like a scholar or anything like that. But just to generalize, to mention that there are levels that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about in Quran. Uh, unfortunately, in English, we have, a, have un stuck with these translations that tell us that you have on the one side Muslims and on the other side Kufar, or they call them, what, what's the word they're using in English? Infidels. Infidels. And it doesn't really make any sense except that they think that we're some kind of pagans and we're treating them like some kind of pagans. This is the image that you're trying to get from that. In reality, though, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala breaks it down. And he's, he has us as, of course, the movement, which is the highest. This is a believer. You have Muslim. This is one who submits. You have one who is Asi. This is the one who is disobedient. doesn't make him not a Muslim, but he's not a good Muslim. Then there's the one who is a uh, Munafik. A monophic is one who's a hypocrite. This is a person who says one thing, but he really means something else. Uh, may Allah save us from the fuck. I mean. And another uh, stage of a human being is the one that's called a mushrik. And may Allah save us from this. But this is one, he believes in Allah, but he makes partners with Allah in worship. Then finally we have one who is a kafir. Now kafir is coming from the word and well, our word cover, I should say it this way, our word cover in English comes from the word kafir in the Arabic language because literally the word kafara means to cover something up. And in fact, it has to do with agriculture more than anything else because when a farmer digs the ground, he drops the seeds in, then he covers the seeds over, and that's the exact process that this word is describing. It applies to that, the process of covering the seeds. And so the one who covers the seeds is a kafir. And that's correct in the Arabic language. So if you were in Saudi Arabia, you know, and you saw a guy in a tractor, and you went by and you went, Hello, kafir! He'd probably shoot you. <laughs> because in Islam, we've, of course, given it another connotation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is using this now to explain that this is one who has covered something. What did he cover? Well, he covered his own heart. And he covered the truth. The haq of la ilaha illallah is the subject. And if you cover that, if anybody covers that, then they're in the act of kufr. And may Allah subhanahu wa save us from that. And so, uh, alhamdulillah, that uh, we have the chance, you know, to sit together and talk about this and think.
that when you just narrow it down to two groups, like for instance, believers and non-believers, and, and this is a tendency that I hear amongst Muslims and the non-Muslims all the time to just say believers and non-believers. And there's not, it's not really bad, except that you don't give the room for the understanding. And that's why I'm kind of going into that a little bit right now. Because when we're dealing with the people, if we look at them as some kind of scumbag, that they're subhuman because they're not Muslim, we in fact have already given in to shaitan on one level. Because we haven't given the, our brother human a chance. And all of us, at some time or another, had to be told about Islam. And every one of us need to learn about Allah. None of us are prophets. We're not born knowing things. We have to be taught. It's not until the message comes to somebody that you can really decide whether or not this person falls in this category or that category or that category. And so the first and foremost thing is to be sure the person has the message. If they have the correct message delivered to them, then quite obviously it's going to be up to them to decide to accept or reject. So, suppose that a person lives on a desert island, grows up on a desert island, and there's nobody there. This is one of the things people throw out as checking out if our religion works or not. Could could this person go to paradise? Well, I've heard some Christians tell me, no, he can't. And you ask them, why? He said he didn't say the precious name of Jesus. Well, I can challenge them on so many points on this subject, but it won't do any good because they won't listen to me. Well, some of the points that could be challenged immediately is, well, Jesus never said Jesus, okay? So, because this is an English word. And English didn't exist until 1,000 years after Isa, alayhi was gone. In Hebrew, he'd be Yeshua, Arabic Isa, and probably Aramaic, really close to the same, Isa. I would tell you that too, because that's what Allah called him in the Quran. And we know he's coming back, so why would he have a different name when he comes back? He's not going to be called Jesus. That's not what he's going to say. That would be a point. But they wouldn't listen to that. But the bigger point is that, well, if you say that he could live on a desert island and never be exposed to the message, therefore he has to die because he didn't get the message, this is a very incomplete religion. This is not a religion for all times and all places and all people. It would have to be something that he could do where he's at that would be acceptable that he could make it. So, let's think about that for a minute. If a person is in that kind of a situation, I don't know how you could wind up on a desert island with no mother, but I won't even go into that. But if he was only on this desert island, all his life, and he died, how could he go to judgment day and he doesn't have the message? And the answer is what? Well, first of all, the message comes after you ask for it. Go look at the example of Abraham, for instance. Abraham. He was a prophet, great prophet, friend of Allah, and 
he was close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And even though, look, when he wanted to uh, worship Allah correctly, he didn't know what to do. He looked to the stars, he looked to the moon, he looked to the sun. And he kept saying, this is my Lord. But it would go away. And he said, well, that didn't work. Look at the statement. I can't figure it out unless Allah guides me. There you go. So it means the same for all of us. Whether you're on a desert island or in a World Trade Center. Well, in a tall building. <laughs> Sears Tower. We'll use that. Something. Anything. But it doesn't matter where you are. It should be that that guidance should be available to you. And is it in Islam? That's a good question. Well, in Islam, we are told by our prophet, peace be upon him, وسلم, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed something in the Quran that he never revealed before in any of the scriptures. And that statement is in Surah Fatiha. That ayah is in Surah Fatiha. And it says, Adina Suratul Mustaqim. And translation in English, more or less, it means that we're saying, guide us to your straight path. Well, even though this is a big clue, it doesn't mean that before that there wasn't things that were available. Prior to that, in scriptures we find, and also in hadith, similar meaning, that people should ask, seek, and knock. Well, the asking is to ask for what? And the seeking is for what? And the knocking is for what? And that's what Ibrahim Islam did. And that's what every single human being had to do at some point in order to know how to reach God. You have to ask. Now, they're going back now to the person on the island. He has to decide there's a God, just like all of us do. Just like Abraham, salam, had to decide there must be a God. There's some logical ways that you can approach it. One of the logical ways is from a linguistic point of view. If you look to all of the languages on the earth, ever been developed by human beings in any place, languages that are very sophisticated and large, like the Semitic languages, languages like the Oriental languages that have not just tens of characters, hundreds and even thousands of different characters for Chinese, Mandarin Chinese, Korean, Japanese. Japanese is very small compared to Chinese. But compared to us, it's unbelievable. Can you imagine having two or three hundred characters? And that's small compared to the Chinese letters. So there's so many ways that we can look at this thing, but from a linguistic point of view, Every single language on earth has always had a word for God. Why? Because there's no reason to make a word for something if it doesn't exist. Before the 1940s, we didn't have any word for television. You know why? Because there was no television. And before the 1950s, we didn't have any word for those things flying around in outer space that go around the earth. We didn't have a word for it. So when the Russians put theirs up there, they called it a Sputnik. And the people here started calling it Sputnik. And there's no way in those days that America was going to sit by and say, the Russians beat us. We had to come up with a word quick. 
So we use the word that describes something else and call it a satellite. But actually, satellite we had as a word for some other things. We borrowed it. We never did come up with a word for satellites. We still haven't. But they called it a Sputnik. Why would we have a word for God if there's no God? And it's in every single language. At least it indicates. Now, some some atheists will argue with me, and they say that all that indicates is that the people thought there was a God. And I will accept that. You know why? Because if every single every single human society on earth thought there was a God, the logical conclusion is what? Then it must be necessary for humans to think that. And if it's necessary for us to think that, then it's logical who put that in our minds. It's God Himself. So it means that someone would have to eventually look at themselves and say, how did I get here? How did I get here? Did I create myself? Because in a period of a lifetime, you might not notice it when you're 10 years old or 15. Okay? But by the time you get to 40 or 50 years old and you're looking around, you're saying, I've seen so many things in my life. Grow up and die. Grow up and die. Come from one thing and go to another thing. Some examples, when you see a small seed and it grows up to be a palm tree. That's amazing shape. I mean, it doesn't look anything like the seed. Or an acorn. If you look at an acorn, a very distinct looking guy. It looks like a little hat on his head. Acorns wear kufis. You know that? But, but you put the acorn in the ground. What would you expect? If you saw this thing with the little kufi, you'd imagine maybe a plant comes up and it has little, you know, like fruit that looks like this. It would have to be. You would never guess that one of the biggest trees would grow from this called the mighty oak. Now, I know a lot of my listeners, they like some of my jokes, so it's time for me to tell you one. It's sort of poetry. It says, never despair, never be blue. Keep in mind, the mighty oak was once a nut like you. Okay, so we'll keep going. <laughs> I ask a lot, forgive me, but you know what? <laughs> a lot of times we get a little too serious and we forget that we can have fun, you know. But when we look at a tomato seed, it's a tiny little yellow seed. You can't help but eat the seeds when you eat the tomatoes. You could never pick the seeds out. I don't think so. But you take this little tiny thing, put it in the ground. How does it know which way to go? Which way should the roots go? Up? How do, or down. How does it know? You don't have to set the seed. It'll always have the roots go down and the stalk come up. But if you cut the seed open, will you find little plants in there? No. Small tomatoes? No. Nothing. There's nothing in the seed. But yet you put it in the ground, and pretty soon here comes some green thing coming up out of there, little leaves on it. gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and after a while, these little green looking things come out then a yellow flower comes out and then after the flower comes this little green ball and then after that it begins to become red and it's all coming from this tiny seed until you've got another tomato only you've got a bunch of them and guess what they have inside more seeds you can't help but think how did that happen 
No tree in the history of the world ever grew upside down with the branches going down in the ground and the roots coming out. Ever. So how does that happen? How does it happen? I want to give you one from animals. Did you ever see worms? We've all seen worms. They're ooky. They're you know, squishy. They're yeah. Little girls will tell you, oh, worms. Yeah. Right? Yucky. Worms. But did you ever see a butterfly? They're beautiful. The same little girl will say, Mashallah, look at the butterfly, Grandpa. Look, look at the butterfly. It's pretty. Bring you this butterfly and has the wings and the colors and everything. Yes? Very beautiful. Last month he was a worm. <laughs> How did the worm become a butterfly? Worms can't fly. He goes into a cocoon and he stays in there in hibernation of some kind and then when he comes out he's a butterfly. How? How does he know how to do this? Who told him? Did he go get PhD in how to become a butterfly? No. This is something amazing. So the person on the desert island is watching these things happen the same as you or me and he's got to think somewhere along the line, how's this going on? Who's doing all this? I'm not doing it. I'm the one looking at these beautiful butterflies and I'm the one eating the tomatoes. In fact, I'm the one that's appreciating all of this, but I sure didn't create any of it. Who's doing this? And if he comes to the conclusion, there must be some force, some intelligence, some God out here somewhere. Although I cannot see, I cannot hear, I cannot smell, taste, feel, or imagine who this God is. Must be something. If he gets to this level, the next logical conclusion is to say, well, if this God can do all that and he put me here, then he obviously knows something about me. But how will I communicate with him? If I shout real loud, maybe I'll try that. Hey! Well, that didn't work. Well, what can I do? I'll make some stuff in the sand, some signal, some sign, put something. Well, that's not going to work. Wait a minute. Maybe he can see what's in my heart. I'll just think it. That'd be a great test, as a matter of fact, wouldn't it? I won't say it out loud. I won't make any sound outside. I'll just be sitting here like this, and then all of a sudden, inside of me, I'm going to say, God, or whatever you are, if you can hear me, guide me to know you. There's the test. If there's no God, you don't have anything to worry about. But if you were honest, without doubt, that's next. Somehow, God is going to guide that person. And it's no problem for him at all to guide that person. He will make the consciousness and the heart become aware of God. That's how it works. Whether he's on the desert island, or if he's on a mountain, or if he's in a skyscraper in New York City. doesn't matter. 
The point is that we are seeing now that this is the basis for the belief in Islam. Therefore, Islam automatically can be done any place, anytime, anywhere by anybody. Anybody can be a Muslim. When you use this kind of approach and explanation, nobody can argue with you because you're not arguing about doctrine. You're not arguing about scriptures. You're just presenting common sense. And if what he has cannot match what you have, he'll back away or he'll listen to you. But there's no sense into getting a, a big op, uh, uh, opposition to somebody, a, a debate with them over the nature of Jesus, for instance. I even heard Muslims want to argue about this. They want to talk about, well, Jesus may have something of God in him because God... He said, okay, okay. Irrelevant point here. Let's talk about there is a God, yes or no. And if you believe it, it has to be one. Why? Why couldn't it be two? If there's two, there'd have to be a reason to have two, wouldn't there? They'd have to have a reason to have two. Because this is what we're talking about God. So if there were two, that means one by itself is not sufficient to handle the purpose. Right? This automatically indicates that God is not perfect. Therefore, not God. So it comes back to one, doesn't it? Just like that. Look at the logical conclusion. has to be one, because if there were two, you just got through saying one of the two is not complete without the other one. Therefore, what? It's not God. Allah is Allah, alone, singular. These are some of the things that help build the foundation before you get into presenting Islam. To build the foundation for the belief that when you begin to talk to the person, even Muslims that don't know the religion, then they see the logic behind it. There has to be a God. Some people are being taught these days, Billah, that they have some kind of power inside of them. The power of positive thinking, for instance. The power within. That's another book or something like this on the same thoughts. The ability for you to meditate on something and make it happen. Imagine something before you go to sleep at night and then imagine it when you wake up in the morning and eventually it comes true. This indicates you have powers, right? Well, if you put a person in the level of having these kind of powers that he can do something, you automatically make him as a partner with Allah. But additionally, you'd have to assume, I guess, he never has a bad day. You got, if you got power, why would you ever have a bad day? It happened in a prison one time when I was giving some talk there. I had a couple hundred inmates, and one of them indicated that he didn't believe in God. All the rest of them were Christians or Muslims or something, but one, he didn't believe in God at all. I said, first of all, you got a lot of guts to say that in front of all these inmates. I mean, these are tough people here, and you're insulting them by saying they're wrong, that they don't know what they're talking about. So i got to admire that in you. Anyway, you got courage, even though... But let's ask a question. If you're some, somebody out here don't believe in God, how'd you get here? How, how did you get this intelligence that you have? How do you get through life every day? Who's doing this? He indicated that it was himself. I see you created yourself. 
You brought yourself into existence. You have power. He said, yeah. I said, this is amazing. For me, it's too amazing. And I, I have to ask you a question. For us non-gods, you know, could you give a free demonstration? Something small. We don't need you to move a mountain or something. Don't scare us. But give us something small. Could you, like, grow one hair out on your face while we watch? Or make one hair on your head just go back in? Something small. He has no answer. Well, how about this? How about, you know, we fast Ramadan, right? Why don't you don't eat, you don't drink for six months. See what happens. If you God, you don't need to eat and drink. Oh, I got a better one for you. Why don't you drink all you want? All the tea, all the liquid, all the water, everything you want, and just don't go to the bathroom for 24 hours. And you can't do that either. But above all, I have to ask this question. I'm sorry. I have to ask this question. What is it that we non-God people are missing about prison? Because all of us here are seeing this as something not good. All these inmates here, they'd like to leave. Could you please tell us what's so great about it that God made himself in here? I'd like to know that. What are you doing here? And of course, he has no answer. But this is a deception from Shaitan himself to make people think they have something going. A lot of the Americans that I know, non-Muslims, have this idea that they've got some kind of mental power and some of them even blame themselves for things that happen that are not related to them. Others take credit for things that happen that they obviously have no power over. Like when they, you know, they gamble. They love to gamble. They've got buy those lottery tickets. They like to play the slot machines, things like that. If they win, they think it's some kind of power they have right away. Or they attribute it to something with them. For instance, a lucky rabbit's foot. We talked about that the, the other day. If the rabbit's foot's so lucky, how come this rabbit's walking around with one leg missing now? You know, they didn't think of that. And this is really more deception from shaitan. And they're really deceiving themselves. And this is the covering that we're talking about to cover up the truth. La ilaha Let's come to the logical conclusion that the person sitting on this island would look up at the sky one day and realize all of this was not created for a foolish purpose. There's too much order in the universe. For all the years he's sitting on the desert island, he's seen the pattern of the stars. He's seen the patterns of the birds flying in different directions. He's seen the patterns of the water coming and going day after day. He's watched the process of the seasons. He's seen the sun move in the different hemispheres. He understands there is something out there. He has to admit it. So logically he would say, Oh God, guide me. At that stage, at that stage, it's now out of his hands. Because if you turn everything over to Allah, and you say, now it's up to you, Allah. If the responsibility is totally on Allah. If you're honest, heart's clean, you ask for it, has to be from Allah now. And so Allah will guide him in any way he wants. And if Allah gives him the inspiration, to the knowledge to know what he wants him to know, and then he acts on it, then he's done the right thing.
That's all it takes. That describes the process of Islam. It doesn't have to be more than this to get the concept to the person. Now, of course, we don't live on a desert island, and we interact with a lot of other people, which is actually a bonus because it becomes a lot easier to identify things. You have so many things to relate to. You don't have to sit there and keep thinking and thinking and trying to figure it out. You can ask questions. And then there's even more evidence when you're around other people. You can see, for instance, that there are so many other people, and we all look exactly alike to a tree. We all look exactly alike to an animal. We're humans. But to each other, we're so distinct that even twin brothers or twin sisters can tell each other apart. Because we can do that. We, we know we're alike. We all have eyes, nose, mouth, things like this. But to us, we're different. We're very different, yes? This is another proof of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Of course, I'm taking these things, you know, well, from the Quran. That one's in Surah Al-Hujurat. But the point is that we want to use what we have in a way to explain Islam in common terms to the people. Because if we try to present this from a scholarly point of view, if you want to talk down to these people, I'm going to tell you right now you're going to lose them. They're not going to listen to you. When they come up with their arguments, you have to be able to deal with it on that level. And let me give you an example from the Prophet wasallam. Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessing be upon him, always talked to people on the level that they were on. He was very intelligent, without a doubt. Although he didn't learn to read or write, he was still very intelligent. And when he spoke to the people of knowledge in his community, he spoke to them with wisdom and very powerful words. It's recorded. His words are recorded. He could say in a few words what other people couldn't imagine in weeks and give answers that were way, way beyond average human being. Yet when he would speak to what we call in Texas the hillbillies or the, you know, country people, or what they call in Arabic the Bedouin, the Bedouins, the mountain people, he could speak to them on their level that they could understand. Even their style. Even the style that he spoke to the people so that they could understand. If you'll keep in mind, I don't know how many of you were at the program at the university yesterday, but the style that I used was not the same style that I use when I'm in New York. Because I know when I'm in New York, you have to talk quickly, you have to move, you have to go to your next subject, you have to go, go, go. And if you tell a joke, you don't wait for the laugh, you just keep moving. But yesterday, because most of the people are from around this area here, I'm talking slower, I'm putting a lot of the old Texas stories in there and dragging it out, because it's what they like. It's what they relate to. You don't have to be an actor. You don't have to be a showman. But you have to know who you're talking to. It doesn't make sense that you would talk to a farmer about building big buildings in the city. It doesn't make sense you'll talk to a cab driver in New York about, you know, how you make rice out in a rice paddy somewhere. He doesn't know what you're talking about. He doesn't get it. So it's better for a person, all of us really, to 
to present Islam in a way that it's easiest for us to explain and easiest for them to understand. It's not complicated. In the amount of time that I've been talking just now in this presentation, I guarantee you, without any doubt in my mind, our Prophet, peace and blessing be upon him, could have presented something in the first five minutes much more powerful. I have no doubt. The proof is in a hadith of the Rasul wasallam. When the man came to him and said to him, Tell me something about Islam that only you could tell me. Well, Rasul wasallam, our Prophet, peace and blessing be upon him, said, Say, I put everything into the trust of Allah, and then be steadfast in what you said. Wow. That's it. That's his answer. Now, since then, believe it or not, scholars of Islam have come along and written tafsir explanation of this hadith, and they can put it in volumes. <laughs> which is kind of funny in a way because the Prophet ﷺ made it purposely abbreviated everything down and then we come along and blow it up. <laughs> Oops, I didn't mean to say blow up in your masjid. I'm sorry. <laughs> but anyhow. Okay. Yeah, we wanted to cover today the subject of simple presentation of Islam to a person. We talked about the encounters how we meet people how we're every day, visiting with folks. We meet, we meet people every day. How do I talk to them? How do I present Islam? You know people who need to know about Islam, but you don't know what to say to them. What am I going to start with? What am I going to do? How can I get... I want to say something, but what am I going to do? My English is not that great. This is one excuse. Or, you know, they don't like me because uh, I look like a Muslim. Alhamdulillah, be glad you look like a Muslim. A lot of Muslims don't. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> don't think about that one too long. I'm just saying that you're always going to have an excuse. But why don't you get over that and start coming up with some answers. Go to the printer. Go to Kinko's or some place. You know, if I mention Kinko's, I wonder if they'll give me some commission for advertising. I need to think about that. After all, we were talking about that, right? Take advantage of this. Go to some printers and have some cards made up, little cards that you hand out to people. I'll give you a suggestion. You can do what you want to, but this is a suggestion. Put questions on one side, like, why are we here? Who are the Muslims? What's the Islam? What are Muslims doing in America? Make it look like, wow, you know, what's happening here? Then let them turn the card over. And then you can put some, and this is one of the titles that we used, Islam Exposed. Ah, that's good. That's good. We're going to find out now, you see. Islam Exposed. And then we put the website, www.islamtomorrow.com. For them, they're going to be convinced. That's it. I'm going to go there. I'm going to get all this information. Yeah, you betcha, boy. And then down the, underneath that, find out answers to these questions before it's too late. 
Some of the other questions we've used are very effective. Why are we here? What's the purpose of life? Is there a God? Is Allah really God? Questions like that. No statement. No statement. But leaving it for them to go to the internet website. As soon as they hit it, they're going to be knocked out because it's crazy stuff on there. You see a picture of a person, me, who is standing in front of the, the uh, Kaaba in Mecca, but yet on the other side it blends right into a Seattle, uh, Washington background. It's uh, very unique. Look at the pictures out here on the wall. You've seen it. They look at it and they go, huh? That guy looks like an American. Why is he wearing that funny hat? And the next thing you know, let's check this out. And it's the story how a preacher came to Islam. Now what's he going to do? He messed up his whole day. <laughs> so alhamdulillah, this is one. Something else you can do, and, and I'm not saying you have to, to link to our website. That's not the point. But you can also have your own Dawah Center in your own community. You have a group, brothers, sisters, who work for Dawah, who are responsible for that. So what you do then is have on the card their phone number that they can be reached at. If they have an 800 number, or if they have a Mashtad telephone number that, that just answers and gives a brief message. What is Islam? Who are the Muslims? We have a program every Sunday at what time? Five o'clock. All, all are welcome. Bring your friends. Uh, free refreshments. Something like this. People will come out. What, what's this all about? Or you put call for reservations and directions. They'll be more comfortable. They'll call up. Eh, what's, uh, what do you guys do anyway? Okay. Well, why don't you come out and find out? We'll have some refreshments. Uh, the directions are Center Street to Oak Street to Main Street, and you'll be right there, and so and so. And we're looking forward to What's your name? John. Okay, John. Great. We look forward to see you. And if you need anything in the meantime, by the way, you, if you want, you can give us your number, email, and everything. We'll send you out information. Give you the number, and now you got a contact. Your people of Dawa, you have to have people of Dawa. Every master has to have somebody who's responsible for this job, just like you have somebody responsible to clean the floor, just like you have somebody responsible to pay the bills. You've got to have somebody responsible to present Islam to the people in your community. If you don't, you're missing a key ingredient. You have no connection. So you have Dawah people. Now, all of us are people of Dawah, meaning that we should all invite to Islam, yes. But don't try to go out here and be something you're not. Don't try to get in a debate with these people about their Bible. You are not Ahmadidat. Okay? And I'm not real sold on a lot of that stuff anyway. I think it's very negative. When I was a Christian, I didn't like it. I sure don't like it now. The next thing is, if they want to get into any argument about anything or insult Islam, just tell them, well, you know, please come and, you know, learn what we have. And if we have some mistakes, we're most welcome to hear about it. Help us out here. I'm going to wrap it up by giving you the statement that was given to me so many years ago before I entered Islam. I was trying to convert a Muslim to Christianity. And I remember to this day the famous quote. It sticks in my mind. It rings like a bell. He said, I'm ready to go to your religion if your religion is better than my religion. But you have to have proof. 
that statement still sticks in my mind. And I remember thinking, proof, proof. The whole idea of religion is faith. It doesn't have anything to do with proof. And he's telling me that in Islam we have both. We have proof and we have faith. We have faith in the proof. And the proof increases our faith. There's no proof in Christianity. They have nothing except conversation. Their Bible is no longer extant. It doesn't exist anymore. The real Bible, book, Bible means book, that's all it means. The real book is gone. All that's left is the people of the book. The half of Kitab are still here. But believe it or not, even the translation of what remains of their book still has some things out of Islam in it. That's why we don't attack it. We don't insult it. We don't want them to throw it away. We don't want them to set it on fire. In fact, if he's not ready to, to think about Islam, then tell him, look, just pray to God to guide you and then read your book. Go read it. Because if Allah guides him to write, read the right passages, he'll realize Islam is the right way. But if Allah misguides him to read something else, tells him Jesus is God or whatever, if that's what he guides him to read, then Allah wasn't going to guide him anyway, was he? It's up to Allah. So this is a great statement to tell the people. If your religion's better than mine, then I'm ready to go to it. But I would suggest you come and visit our center or our Dawah place and, and listen to what's going on and help us. Because all the Muslims are, are interested in doing better. We would all like to have something better in our religion. That's why we go to get educated in our religion all the time. Because we want more. We want better. So if you've got something better, bring it. And of course, you know, we know the answer to that. Because we have so many American Christians, even the leaders of the churches, even the priests, even the preachers, even the bishops going to Islam. So obviously, we know the conclusion. I'm going to wrap it up here. I'm going to remind myself and all of us that it's only Allah who guides. It's only Allah that misguides. And we pray for His guidance for us and for our families and for the whole world. Amen. You've been listening to Islam Tomorrow. We're broadcasting almost live all the way from Las Cruces, New Mexico. And until next time, visit us on the internet at www.islamtomorrow.com. We're open 24 hours a day and always plenty of free parking.